Let's get straight to the point. You want to grow your portfolio to deal with the rising cost of inflation to pay off your debt or your mortgage, pretty much anything standing in the way of you and financial freedom, right? Well, with Yahoo Finance, you can get access to the news, data, and tools that you need in order to help you reach that financial freedom. And when it comes to your financial future, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, you've invested all that you can. And now you need to take those investments to the next level by using what every financial great uses. Yahoo Finance. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination. That's yahoofinance.com. The Peter Schiff Show. I wanted to record this podcast just about Bitcoin and, of course, cryptocurrencies in general. So if you are not interested in in Bitcoin, then don't bother to listen to this podcast because that's all I'm going to talk about. And, you know, I, I do podcasts and I, from time to time, mention the cryptocurrencies. And I always look at the comment sections and there are always people that are saying, Peter, why are you even talking about, you know, about Bitcoin? I mean, what, what difference does it make? And it's, you know, everybody at this point is talking about Bitcoin. I don't know why I should be any different, why I should ignore a topic that pretty much everybody else is is weighing in on. But of course, you know, I talk about the markets, I talk about investments. So there's no way that I can ignore what's going on in the cryptocurrencies. Uh, it'd be like if I was in 17th century Holland and I, you know, had the equivalent of a podcast back then, whatever it was, I was putting out a pamphlet on the investment markets, and I never mentioned what was going on in the tulip market, right? Or, you know, more recently, uh, as a stock advisor, uh, you know, not mentioning in the 1990s what was going on with the dot-coms. So obviously, this is something that I am going to talk about. I'm not talking about it on every podcast, but the reason I wanted to talk about it today is because this morning, Bitcoin is at a new record high. You know, what else is new? It's trading above 4,200 per Bitcoin, and who knows where the price is going to be by the time this podcast is actually heard later on this afternoon. I'm recording it early in the morning. Uh, Who knows where it's going to be? It's moving up, and I've been reading a lot of articles over the weekend explaining why the price of Bitcoin is, is going up, and very few of the articles that I'm reading are actually correct as to why the price of Bitcoin is going up. Of course, people are coming up with all kinds of rationalizations as to you know what Bitcoin is or other cryptocurrencies are and what they're going to be and why the price is going up. But the real reason that the price is going up is because it's a bubble. People are buying it. Most people who are buying it don't believe it's a bubble. right? If you believe it's a bubble, you're probably not buying it. Why? Because you're afraid it's going to pop, right? If you if you know Bitcoin is a bubble, the reason you're not buying it is because you think that you'll buy it and then the market's going to collapse. So it's the fear of the bubble popping that keeps you from buying it. Now, that doesn't mean that there are people who aren't buying it, who believe it's a bubble. They just have more greed than fear. 
They they know it's a bubble, but they don't want to miss out. They just think the bubble is going to get a lot bigger, and they think they'll be able to get out before the bubble pops. And, of course, there are probably people who have already done that. There are probably people who bought Bitcoin a lot lower, thinking it was a bubble, and who got out thinking the bubble had peaked. Of course, they were wrong because the bubble got even bigger. And, of course, there could be some people who are buying it now who thought it was a bubble years ago and didn't buy it because they were afraid. And now they regret not buying it. And they're buying it now out of greed because they think the bubble is going to get a lot bigger and they'll be able to sell out. Of course, if you believe it's a bubble and you're buying it anyway, you are looking for two possible exit strategies, right? One is you sell your Bitcoins to somebody else who also believes it's a bubble but believes the bubble is going to get bigger than you do, right? Or you're going to sell it to somebody who has no idea it's a bubble. Somebody who's just buying it because they actually believe that it's going to work and they think the price is going to go up forever, right? So you have one or two possible exit strategies. But the vast majority of people who are buying Bitcoin do not believe it's a bubble. They, they believe all the hype. They believe that it is... Uh, going to be the new money, that it is either going to replace uh, national currencies like the euro and the yen and the dollar, or it's going to exist alongside of those currencies. And not just Bitcoin, but obviously a number of digital currencies are going to emerge that are going to live in the same universe as uh, national uh, fiat currencies, right? That's what people believe. But I think all this stuff is a bunch of nonsense. I don't believe that any of this is going to happen. You know, back during the dot-com bubble, people who were buying dot-com stocks, by and large, did not think they were buying into a bubble. They thought it was a new paradigm. They thought it was a new world. People thought that the stocks that they were buying would eventually grow into their multiples, right? When people were buying pets.com, right, they actually believed that it was going to work. Even though at the time they were buying it, it was losing money, People buying into it believed that one day everybody was going to buy their dog food from Pets.com. And they looked at, well, you know, what is the size of the dog food market? And, oh, well, this is how many people are buying dog food. Well, okay, let's just assume that they all buy it at Pets.com. After all, where else would they buy it? I mean, they've got a cool name, Pets.com. If I got a pet, that's where I'm going to go. They got this great mascot, the sock pocket. Look, they, they, they advertised on the Super Bowl. Right, when they first came out, all right, so everybody is going to buy their dog food on Pets.com. So people started figuring out what's the entire dog food market worth, and let's attribute it all to Pets.com, whatever they were doing. right? Well, they were wrong because it went bankrupt. Now, they weren't wrong about people buying dog food on the Internet. There are plenty of people. I buy my dog food on the Internet. I buy it on Amazon. You know, Interestingly enough, Amazon was actually one of the seed investors in pets.com and of course you know they lost 100 percent of that investment and i'm they're probably glad that they did because now you know they're pets.com and everything else.com because people are buying dog food on amazon but you know i know people always say oh you peter you see this proves you're wrong because if you bought amazon during the uh dot-com bubble so you made money see amazon is still here and it's true amazon is still here but the price of Amazon went down by better than 90%. If you go look at a chart of Amazon, the high was in 1999. And by 2001, 
the stock price had fallen by better than 90%. So even if you bought Amazon during the bubble, you saw the price collapse by 90%. And of course, a lot of people sold, right? So a lot of people lost money buying Amazon during the dot-com bubble because when it collapsed 90%, they, you know, they sold out. A lot of people did sell. That's one of the reasons that the price went down. But of course, the vast majority of the dot-coms, like Pets.com, they did go to zero. They lost everything. And, you know, Amazon, though, we still don't know if Amazon is going to work, right? Despite the fact that it is one of the biggest companies in the world by market cap and that Jeff Bezos is one of the richest men in the world because of his ownership of Amazon, they still don't really make any money. I mean, I mentioned I buy my dog food on Amazon. Why do I buy my dog food on Amazon? Well, it's really heavy. Right. So, you know, my wife does the shopping. Generally, it's hard for her to lug home. I've got two large dogs. And so bringing home that dog food, those are heavy bags of food. You know, we buy these big 40 pound bags and then we also buy these cans, you know, dog food. It's very heavy. We order on Amazon. They deliver it and it's free. They don't even charge for delivery. We're on Amazon Prime. Even if we order it in Puerto Rico, it's free delivery. And it's cheaper than buying it in the store. So I can buy it on Amazon for less than the store, and they'll deliver it to my house, and they'll charge me nothing. So that's why we buy it. Now, how does Amazon make money selling me this heavy um, uh, dog food and you know charging me less than the grocery store when I have to drive there and pick it up myself? I don't know. In fact, they don't make money. There's no possible way they're making money selling me this dog food. But they're selling it to me anyway. So we don't know. What's going to happen with Amazon? You know, where at what price is Amazon stock going to finally settle? The company is going to have to be profitable at some point, right? It can't just be promising profits forever. At some point, they're going to have to deliver on that promise, which means they're going to have to make money on everything they sell. And so sales at some point are going to stop growing and the stock price is going to fall to where I don't know, right? But the point is for every Amazon, that survived. There was a hundred of these stocks. You don't even remember the name uh, that that went bankrupt during the bubble, but they all went down. So if you think that, okay, there's a bubble in cryptocurrencies and it's going to be a shakeout, but Bitcoin is going to be the one that's going to survive. And again, we don't know that. We don't know if Bitcoin is Amazon or pets.com. And as far as I know, none of these uh, digital currencies are Amazons. They're all pets.com. But you don't know. But even if it is Amazon, if the price falls 90% from the peak, that's still a big decline. Now, we don't know where the peak is. Let's say the peak is 10,000, just to throw that out there. Well, that means if the bubble bursts and all these currencies collapse, and let's say Bitcoin is the Amazon of digital currencies, well, then it drops from 10,000 to 1,000. Well, that's still 75% below where it is now. I mean, if you buy it at 4200 and it goes to 1000 I mean, that's that's a pretty big loss, right? Most people don't want that, even if it goes to 10000 first. Now, all right, well, maybe maybe the top is $20,000. All right, well, then it collapses down to 2000 It's still half of what it is now. So this bubble can get a lot bigger and pop, and people buying Bitcoin today can still end up losing a lot of money, unless, of course, they end up selling it, Right? when it's a bigger bubble before it drops. But most people won't do that. I mean, that is the nature of bubbles. I mean, one of the reasons 
that Bitcoin has already gone up so much is so few people want to sell. Why don't they want to sell? Because they want to get rich. They're too greedy to sell. They're afraid about all the profits they're going to miss out on if they sell. And that is the very nature of a bubble. But let me get on to a lot of the things that I'm reading and the things that are being said about Bitcoin to try to rationalize the value so that people buying it don't believe they're buying into a bubble. They think it's a new era in money and that this is the new money. I mean, people think that this is basically the automobile and dollars or euros or even gold is the horse and buggy. Right. And this is, you know, and I'm stuck in the, you know, in the horse and buggy age. Right. I'm just an old, you know, crodger that doesn't want to drive a horseless carriage. It just thinks that that doesn't make any sense. I mean, you know, I, I just don't get it because I'm I'm set in my ways and I don't recognize the future when I see it. And that's why all these young people are so much smarter than I am, because they can embrace the new technology. And I'm, you know, I'm stuck in the ways of the past. But first of all, let's talk about the very nature, the name of it, right? Digital currencies. They're not really currencies. They're, they're, they're assets, right? A better way to describe Bitcoin or Litecoin or any of these coins is not by saying they're a digital currency. They're a digital asset. Now, I do hear people talk about it as digital gold, right? Hey, this is digital gold. Well, I mean, in a way, it's digital gold, kind of the way, you know, you can have a digital house, right? I can create a house on the Internet, right? I can create, you know, a five-bedroom, seven-bathroom house on the Internet, and I can put it, you know, I can have a digital swimming pool and a digital tennis court, and I can put it in a really nice digital neighborhood with great digital schools for my digital kids, or I can do all that. But is it actually a house? Is it going to have the same value as a real house in the real world that I can live in that actually has real shelter? Of course not. Are you going to basically trade in your actual house for a digital house? After all, it's a lot easier to sell my digital house than my real house, right? I could just sell it to somebody. They don't have to do an inspection. They don't have to worry about any digital termites eating away the house, right? There's no property taxes on your digital house. There are all sorts of benefits to having a digital house versus having a real one. I mean, there's no maintenance, right, in a digital house. You don't have to worry about the roof leaking. You don't have to worry about, you know, the plumbing uh, breaking. I mean, nothing's going to wear out. There's no depreciation in a digital house. After all, a digital house is much better than an actual house with the exception of you can't live in it. You, there's no actual utility in a digital house. So if Bitcoin is digital gold, fine. It's digital gold, but it has none of the real attributes of actual gold. You're not going to trade in your real gold for digital gold any more than you're going to trade in your real house for a digital house. Even though the digital house, in some ways, in many ways, is better than an actual house, in the most important way, it's not even close to being an actual house because it doesn't really satisfy the the utility, the main attributes that a house was designed to satisfy. Even though it could replicate some of the properties of a house, it doesn't replicate the most important one. And that's the same thing uh, with anything that you want to consider to be digital gold. It is not actual gold. That's why I've called it fool's gold. But Bitcoin is an asset. I mean, there's no arguing that it's an asset, right? If you own Bitcoin, you have an asset, right? It's part of your balance sheet, right? Like your real estate, like your stocks, 
like your coin collection or your baseball card collection or your rare cars. I mean, you can certainly count your Bitcoins as an asset. They have value in the market. You can sell them. People will pay you a lot of money. Again, over $4,000 per Bitcoin as I am recording this podcast. So they certainly are an asset, but I don't think that they are a currency. So I don't think they should call Bitcoin or altcoin or litecoin or dogecoin or whatever it is. They shouldn't call them digital currencies. They should call them digital assets. But I think if people call them digital assets, they wouldn't have the appeal of being a digital currency because that's the promise, right? That they're going to be a currency one day. They're not just a digital asset because as a digital asset, what are they worth? Right? Just like what's your digital house worth? So they want to act as if it's a digital currency, but it's not. None of these cryptocurrencies are really being used as currencies. They're being traded as assets. You know, I hear a lot now about how Bitcoin is the new safe haven. It's a safe haven asset. And that's one of the ways that they're trying to rationalize this. But I'm recording this uh, on a Monday morning. The price of gold is down by 10 bucks. Swiss franc is down. The yen is down. All of the real safe haven assets are down over the weekend. Bitcoin is way up. So if it's a safe haven asset, why is it trading opposite of all the other safe havens? I mean, the idea that anybody could think that Bitcoin is a safe haven from anything is crazy. In fact, I would venture to say that most of the people who are buying Bitcoin and think I'm out to lunch would agree with me that it's not a safe haven. I mean, how can it be a safe haven? I mean... Here's what a safe haven is. Let's say I've got a stock portfolio and I am worried that some event is going to cause the value of my stocks to go down. So I want to sell my stocks and buy something else that might not go down, right? Something that's going to be safe, right? That has less downside risk. That's See, that's what safety is, right? It's not going to go down. Right? I don't think it's going to go down as much as the asset that I'm worried about, the asset that I'm trying to hedge or the asset that I want to sell. Does anybody believe that Bitcoin has less downside risk than the stock market? Anybody believe that? I mean, if I talk probably to somebody who is buying Bitcoin, and I said, hey, what do you think is more likely that's going to happen in the next week? That the price of Bitcoin goes from 4,000 to 2,000? Or that the Dow goes from 22,000 to 11,000. What's more likely to happen in the next week? Obviously, Bitcoin going to 2,000. I mean, clearly, that's more likely to happen. I would say the chances of the stock market losing half its value in the next week are pretty much zero. In fact, it's never happened, right? That has never happened uh, uh, ever to the stock market. Now, I'm not sure if Bitcoin has lost 50% of its value in a week. It's come close. I think it's had weeks where it's certainly lost that much or not quite that much or maybe in its infancy. I mean, were there days when Bitcoin went from $1 to 50 cents? I'm sure. I mean, people weren't paying attention back then. But certainly, Bitcoin has a much greater chance of going down. Now, if you thought, well, what about 4000 to 3000 Could Bitcoin be at 3000 at the end of the week? Certainly. Might not be, but it could be. Is the Dow going to go from 22,000 to 15,000? No. I mean, is it possible? I suppose. Is it probable? No. Very, very unlikely. 
right? So clearly there's more volatility in Bitcoin than there is in the stock market. So how can it be a safe haven? How can anybody decide, hey, I don't want to take any risk. I want to, I want to be ultra safe. So I'm going to load up on Bitcoin? Nobody's going to do that. I mean, I can see, all right, I'm going to load up on the Swiss franc. I really, I'm worried about everything. Let me just have a bunch of Swiss francs. Okay, that kind of makes sense, right? Let me get out of the stock market. I don't want to take any risk. I'm just going to buy some Swiss francs and put them under my mattress. All right. You can even say that with gold. I'm worried about everything. Let me have some gold coins. But would somebody say, look, I'm worried about everything collapsing, so let me put all my money in Bitcoin? Obviously not. So it's not a safe haven. Now, do has the price of Bitcoin gone up when people are worried? Has the price of Bitcoin gone up when gold has gone up? And the Swiss franc, yes. But it also goes up when gold is going down. It goes up when the Swiss franc is going down too. It doesn't matter. It goes up because it's going up. It goes up because people are buying it. Now they have to have a rational basis for why they're buying it. So they say it's a digital safe haven. They say it's digital gold. It's neither. It's just a speculative asset. People are buying it, but they can't buy it because it's a bubble. So they have to come up with rational reasons, or at least reasons that they believe are rational. And so, okay, it's the new safe haven. Okay, yes, so people are buying it because it's a safe haven. But why am I saying that it is an asset and not currency? Because people are not using it as currency. They're using it as an asset. Look, I mentioned on my podcast, because I read this article, that I think a year ago, five of the top 500 um, online retailers were accepting Bitcoin, or claim to anyway, and now it's down to three. So despite the fact that Bitcoin is a lot more popular and a lot more valuable than it was a year ago, fewer merchants are actually accepting them. And of course, the reality is no merchants are really accepting Bitcoin. They are making it easier for people who have Bitcoin to sell their Bitcoin to buy dollars or some other currency and then use that currency to buy the products that they are selling. You see, people don't want Bitcoin. Merchants, anyway, don't want Bitcoin. They want dollars. They want euros. They want yen. Now, if you have Bitcoin, they want your business, right? They want to make it easier for you to cash out your profits and then spend the profits at their online store. Yet despite that, only you know only three of the top 500, despite all of this money, all of this wealth that is tied up, all this purchasing power, there's only a few merchants that want to use BitPay to make it easier for people who have Bitcoins to, to, to buy their products. And I think the reason is because most people that have Bitcoins are not spending them to buy anything. They're hoarding them because they think they're going to keep going up. They want Bitcoin the asset. They don't want Bitcoin the currency. Now, maybe they think it's going to be a currency in the future, but right now they want it as an asset. Now, are there some people who are selling products for Bitcoins? Yeah, not not you know regular retailers. It could be a guy that's listing his car for sale on the Internet and he wants to be paid in Bitcoins. But that's because he wants Bitcoins. He's like, it's a barter transaction. He wants to trade one asset, a used car, for another asset, Bitcoin. When you're using something as money, you don't want the money. You want the stuff that you can buy with the money. 
merchants are not doing that. People are not using their Bitcoins as money. If it was used as money, merchants would have to price products in Bitcoin, right? They would have to say, here is, uh, you know, this television set and it's, you know, a tenth of a Bitcoin. This is what I'm accepting for it, right? Prices would have to be in Bitcoin and merchants would actually accept the Bitcoin in exchange for their product. They wouldn't use BitPay. You don't need BitPay. You have a Bitcoin, you just give your Bitcoin to the merchant. They take your Bitcoin. That would be using uh, uh, Bitcoin as money. And the merchant would take the Bitcoin and pay salary to his employees because their salaries would be in Bitcoin. They would pay the rent to the landlord. They would give the landlord Bitcoin because the rent would be in Bitcoin. right? And when their employees, you know, if they bought their life insurance for their family, they would use Bitcoin to buy their policies and their policies would pay off in Bitcoin. When you die, your kids get quantity of Bitcoin, not a quantity of dollars or a quantity of Swiss francs, an amount of Bitcoin that that would make it money. And if you have any extra money, you buy a bond. You buy a bond with your Bitcoin. There'd be a market, a bond market for Bitcoins, right? And so you take your Bitcoins and you buy a bond and the coupons are in Bitcoins and the principles in Bitcoin. This would be Bitcoin being used as money. Now I know people think, yes, Peter, all of that's going to happen. All of that's going to happen at some point in the future. Yes, right. Just like uh, Pets.com was going to make money selling pet food. It never happened. Was it possible that Pets.com was going to dominate the pet food industry? It was possible, but it didn't happen. Is it possible that this can happen to Bitcoin? You know, I actually think it's less probable than than Pets.com. I think it's actually a bigger long shot that Bitcoin will succeed based on what people think it's going to do than Pets.com. But Pets.com didn't work out, and I think neither is Bitcoin or any of these uh, cryptocurrencies. Now, I know people are going to say, but Peter, people aren't using gold. People aren't buying bonds in gold. People aren't buying life insurance policies in gold. People aren't buying products in gold. They're not now. They were. They were in the past. We used to be on a gold standard. Everything was priced in gold at one time. Even if it was priced in paper money that was backed by gold at a fixed rate, then everything was priced in gold. So gold has worked as money in the past. That is why I believe it will work as money in the future. Bitcoin has never worked as money in the past. It is not working as money in the present. And I don't believe it's going to work as money in the future. Look, just because you can sell your Bitcoins and then buy something with the proceeds doesn't mean the Bitcoins are money. Yes, you can get a debit card. There are some debit cards now where you can cash out your Bitcoin and use your debit card to buy goods and services, but you're not paying for your goods and services with your Bitcoin. You're paying with dollars. You are cashing out your Bitcoin. You're taking a profit on an asset, converting it into a currency, and then you're using the currency uh, to facilitate the transaction. You are not doing the transaction in in Bitcoin. Look, for years, clients of my brokerage firm, Europe Pacific Capital, they're able to get a debit card that is linked to their brokerage account. And when they use the debit card, it basically utilizes the margin ability in their brokerage account. So you have to have a margin account because it doesn't automatically sell your stock. So if you take your debit card and buy something, it doesn't go into your account and liquidate a stock. You got to do that yourself later on. What happens is it'll margin your stock. It'll allow you to borrow money 
And then you can that, that borrowed money can be spent on your debit card. So that doesn't mean that you're that you're using your stocks as money when you take a debit card that's linked to your brokerage account and start buying stuff. You're not using your stocks as money. You're using your stocks as collateral to borrow money. And then you're using the money to buy the goods and services. That is exactly what happens today when people sell their Bitcoins and buy goods and services, right? So Bitcoin is not acting as a currency. It's acting as an asset. People use their other currencies to buy Bitcoins. And then if they want to buy a product, they sell their Bitcoin to buy currency. And then they use the currency to buy the other products. So it is not now, Bitcoin is not now acting as a currency. It is acting as an asset. Now, there is one group of people for which I think Bitcoin is actually acting as a currency, and that is criminals, right? If you are a criminal, and let's say you want to blackmail somebody who has a website, and you say, hey, I'm going to, I'm going to screw up your website, we're going to do some denial of service attack, we're going to take your website down, unless you give me 10 Bitcoins. In that case, Bitcoin is acting as money. The terrorist is demanding payment in Bitcoin. He's not using BitPay. He's, he's wanting actual Bitcoins. Now, why does he want Bitcoins? He wants Bitcoins because he, they're untraceable, because they're anonymous, because it's better if you're blackmailing somebody, it's better to be paid in Bitcoin. So that is a circumstance where Bitcoin is actually being used as money. The, uh, the terrorist or you know the blackmailer doesn't actually want the Bitcoin. As soon as he gets the Bitcoin, he's going to use it to get other things, right? So he is not really somebody who wants to speculate in Bitcoin. He actually wants Bitcoin because of the anonymous nature of the transaction, at least for now. And because he's using Bitcoin, he believes he's more likely to be able to get away with the crime. Now, obviously, this is a purpose for which governments are going to be able to crack down on the use of digital currencies, right? Because uh, they, you know, they, they make it easier for criminals uh, to, you know, to operate in the world, right? So this is going to be part of the downfall. But other than that, you don't have people using digital currencies as currencies because it's actually more expensive. If you actually want to buy products, even on the internet, paying with bitcoins is actually more expensive than paying with whatever currency you happen to have. And people are trying to make a bet. Well, in the future, right, everybody is going to be using Bitcoin. It is just going to replace the dollar, the euro. The whole world is going to have Bitcoins. They're going to be, I don't know, millions of dollars of Bitcoin. Uh, and maybe there'll be some other uh, digital currencies that will survive in addition to Bitcoin. And those will be the only currencies that the world uses. And somehow, you know, they will magically... Uh, stop rising and stop falling. They will achieve some kind of permanently high plateau. And then some relationships will develop uh, between Bitcoin and other goods and services and commodities so that you could have an actual price. See, like one of the reasons that gold was able to become money, it didn't start out as money, right? Gold was a commodity like every other commodity. Money was an invention. Before man invented money, there was barter. But the reason that gold became money is because it had been such a valuable commodity for so long, and it was a luxury good. People wanted gold no matter what. And of course, you want your money to be something that's a luxury good because the rich people will always want it. 
right? You don't want to have a good that is really subjectable to the swings of the economy, because if your money is something that, you know, maybe poor people buy or the middle class, and now the economy really turns down, the demand could really go down. But, you know, there's always going to be wealthy people, and they're always going to want luxury goods. And, and gold was like the ultimate luxury good. But, you know, it had all these other properties that lent itself to serve as money better than all sorts of other commodities that humans have tried uh, and used as money, but they weren't as successful, as good a money as gold. But one of them is that you can, you can have a relative value. How much is the price of oil in, in terms of gold, right? What is the historic relationship between oil and gold? between soybeans and gold, between wheat and gold, between lumber and gold, between cattle and gold, between sugar and gold, between coffee and gold. I mean, you can go back for hundreds of years and you can kind of see these charts and see these relationships and you can know, you know, is gold cheap or, you know, is coffee cheap? Is coffee expensive? You know, is oil expensive? Is oil cheap? You have a reference point. Bitcoin has a history of not even 10 years and it's just gone straight up. I mean, what, you know, what's, how much is a barrel of oil in terms of Bitcoin? What is the relationship? There is no relationship. There is no way to tie it to uh, anything else. I mean, that, that would have to develop over time, and it would have to develop over a long period of time that, that we don't have. But all this speculation about what Bitcoin may eventually turn into is nothing but sheer speculation. But again... The fact that there are now so many other cryptocurrencies out there, and again, they should be called crypto assets because they have far more in common with an asset than they do a currency. But there's all these crypto assets out there, and the success of Bitcoin means that more and more of these crypto assets are going to continue to be created, just like all the dot-coms. You know, at one point, the dot-com craze was so big, every company, they would just slap the word dot-com at the end of their name. Everybody wanted to be a dot-com because everybody wanted to buy them. That's what's going on with the cryptocurrencies. People are buying them. They're getting rich. The people who didn't buy them regret not buying them. The people who didn't buy them look like fools because they're not getting rich. All the people who did buy them think they're geniuses because they are getting rich, because the price is going up. That's exactly what happened with the dot-com bubble. That's exactly what happened with the real estate bubble. There is no difference. All I see now is it's more mainstream. There are more articles about why uh, Bitcoin is digital gold, why it's the new safe haven, why it's the new money. And in fact, a lot of the people now that are promoting Bitcoin you know, they have no, you know, they don't know anything about fiat currencies. They have no, you know, they're not worried about central banks. They're not worried about inflation. I mean, when Bitcoin got started early on, right, there were a lot of libertarians that, oh, you know, you know, you know fiat currencies aren't going to work. You know, these central banks, you know, this was some kind of free market alternative uh, to the dollar or to the euro. But now you've got a whole group of people. The big Wall Street money, they don't think that way. I mean, gold, you think Goldman Sachs is out there telling its clients that, oh, they got to get rid of their dollars, they got to get rid of their euros, that the central banks are no good, that fiat currency is no good. No, of course not. They love this stuff. But they're telling people to buy Bitcoin, right? I mean, people are saying, oh, you need to buy Bitcoin because it's digital gold. These are people who never told people to buy actual gold. 
if you've been bearish on actual gold all these years, you didn't want the real thing, but now you want digital gold. Oh, buy Bitcoin because it's digital gold, but you didn't want real gold. You thought people were foolish for buying actual gold, but they're smart for buying digital gold. I mean, if that makes even less sense. Now, of course, you know, people are saying, well, but look at the value of all this gold. You know, if Bitcoin can just achieve uh, a fraction of that value. But what does it have to do with it? Because gold actually has a use in the real world where Bitcoin does not. But if you did not see the value in real gold, if you've never been advising people to buy actual gold, what's the appeal of the digital alternative? Right? I mean, I could see the appeal of Bitcoin Initially, I just didn't think it was going to deliver on that promise because I knew that it didn't have the vital characteristics that made gold succeed. I could see how Bitcoin was replicating a lot of the other properties. I mean, why do you think they call it mining? Why do you think it's Bitcoin mining? There's no actual mining. You know, people are solving computer problems, but you're not in a mine. You don't have an axe or, you know, you're not, you don't have a pick. You don't have a, a, a shovel. You're not digging anything out of the ground. You know, it should be they're solving problems. Right. It's digital math. You know, it's there's no it's not a mine. But that whole concept was to make it sound like mining gold, to make it act like there's a cost associated with creating a Bitcoin, just like there's a cost associated with mining gold. And yes, there is a cost uh, to, uh, you know, to create a Bitcoin. And obviously, with the price of Bitcoin as high as it is now, there's a lot of money to be made in creating these Bitcoins and then selling them. But the difference is. When you create gold, when you expend resources to take gold out of the ground, you actually have a physical commodity that exists in the real world that can be used. Whereas when you expend real resources, actual computing power and energy to create a digital currency, to create Bitcoin, you've created nothing. You have, you have no real value. You have the perception of value. You have digital value, just like, you know, I'm sure that if I program a digital house it's going to cost me some time and some effort to digitally you know create the house i got to write the program i got to design it digitally but at the end of the day it's not real i can't use it i can look at it you know i can i can fantasize that that's my house but it's not actually my house but when it comes to bitcoin you don't even do that you don't look at it you don't see it i mean yes you you know how many you have I mean, I see all these pictures like on the Internet. They'll, they'll draw a Bitcoin, Bitcoin and they'll make it look like gold. It'll be like a coin with the, you know, the B in it, and it looks like, like a gold coin, but with a B on it. But that's not really what it is. There is nothing there. They're just trying to create the illusion. That's all marketing. That was all part of the appeal. And one of the things that I will agree with, this is one of the greatest marketing schemes ever. I mean, this is an enormous success, right? They created something out of nothing. They took digital nothing and they made it extremely valuable. The people who got in early did an excellent job of promoting this particular asset class out of nowhere. And like all bubbles, like all pyramid schemes or Ponzi schemes, whatever you want to call it, right? The money that's going to be made is going to be by the people who cash out, right? The people who got in early and who are cashing out, who've already cashed out, who are continuing to cash out, who are selling into the hysteria. These are the people who are going to make fortunes on Bitcoin. But the vast majority of people are going to lose a lot of money. The gains by the people who cash out are going to equal the losses by the people who don't. Now, of course, 
there's going to be a lot of losses that are not going to be real. They're just going to be on paper, right? Let's say you bought, you know, some Bitcoins and you paid $5,000 for them, and now they're worth uh, $100,000, right? So you have a $95,000 paper profit. The market crashes and Bitcoin goes to zero. You didn't lose $95,000. You just lost your original $5,000. But for a lot of people, it's going to feel like they lost $95,000 because mentally, they had $100,000. Even though they didn't actually cash it in, they thought they had it. In fact, they thought they had a million dollars because they thought it was going to keep going up. So there's going to be a lot of disappointed people when a lot of these paper profits disappear, just like they disappeared during the dot-com bubble. But those aren't the actual losses. The actual losses are just the dollars or the euros or the yen that people use to buy their bitcoins. And what are the actual profits? The actual profits are going to be the dollars and the euros and the yen that people made selling their bitcoins for cash, right? Because the paper profits aren't going to count. If you if you ran it up, if I invested $5,000 and it went up to 100,000, 200,000 and I didn't sell and then it came crashing down and by the time I sold, let's say I managed to sell out at 7,000, all right, well I got a $2,000 profit. That's all I was able to realize. And at the end of the day, the realized gains are going to equal the realized losses. All the rest of it is just noise. And the way it's going to work is the realized profits are going to be concentrated among a very small group of people, whereas the realized losses are going to be dispersed among a much bigger group of people. And so the smaller group of people, they're going to make huge profits, and you're going to have an enormous number of people that are going to have losses that collectively are going to equal the profits. But one of the worst things about this whole experience, I think, is going to be it's going to end up achieving the opposite of what the early adopters were hoping. Right? They were hoping that this was going to challenge the power of central governments, that this was going to disrupt money, that this was going to you know, reign in government, and now we were going to have real commodity money you know, with digital currencies, and this was going to be, you know, kind of like FedEx upending the post office or like Uber upending the, uh, uh, you know, the taxicab market. They really believed that this was going to succeed in taking power away from government. I think, if anything, it's going to achieve the reverse. This is going to give more power to government because when these things collapse, right, and people lose all this money, the central bankers are going to come out and say, we told you so, right? This is what happens when you allow the free market to do what governments should do. When the free market tries to create money, it leads to disaster. People have lost a fortune. You got to stick with dollars. You got to stick with euros. You got to stick with the yen, right? And of course, it's probably going to result in all sorts of extra regulation. Government is going to get more power. They're going to use uh, these digital currencies, not only the losses ultimately that people are going to have, but the fact that the criminal element was attracted to them, and they're going to use it to get more power. There's going to be more regulation. So ironically, it's the opposite of what the original early adopters, libertarians, were hoping for. It's not going to take power away from government. It's going to result in government having more power. It is not going to make fiat currencies look bad because digital currencies are going to be so much better. It's actually going to make fiat currencies look good by comparison because of all the money that is going to be lost in digital currencies. And more importantly, too, it takes the the spotlight off of gold. I mean, there actually is a viable alternative 
to fiat currencies. It's gold. It's real money. Gold has been money. It could be money, and it will be money. And people who are looking for a safe haven should actually be buying gold. People who are looking for an alternative to fiat currencies should be buying gold. If you want to take power away from government, you should be doing it by buying gold. If you want to cultivate a monetary system that's going to operate outside the realm of government, then you want to do it with gold. And if you believe in the Internet, if you believe in that concept, then it it exists. You can use gold. That's what gold money is doing. And I don't want to make this a commercial for gold money because people are going to say, oh, you see, Peter, that's the only reason that you're anti-Bitcoin is because you're pro-gold money. I've always been pro-gold money before gold money existed. I was saying at the very beginning when these digital currencies first came up, I said, you know what? The only way they're going to work is if they're backed by gold. See, the original currencies, the original currencies that were created by the private sector, not by governments, banks issued currency. It was backed by money. It was backed by gold. So private, the private sector could issue digital currency backed by gold, just like it used to issue paper currency backed by gold. But what gave the paper currency value was the gold backing. If any bank tried to issue paper currency backed by nothing, it would have been laughed out of existence. Nobody would have accepted it. It would have been a joke, except now it's not a joke. People actually want digital currency backed by absolutely nothing. And the rationale is, well, the dollar's backed by nothing, the euro's backed by nothing, as if two wrongs make a right. But you know what? The dollar is backed by something, confidence. And where does the confidence come from? It comes from years of acceptance. It comes from familiarity. It comes from the fact that there is a bond market, that there is an insurance market, that people are pricing products in dollars, and that the U.S. government will accept dollars as payment in taxes, that if you don't want to go to jail, you need dollars to pay the government not to put you in jail. So actually, there is some value there in these fiat currencies that the cryptocurrencies don't have. But to try to say that, well, it's just fiat, they could just print it, therefore, you know, just buy digital currency. If that is true, then why didn't banks years ago just print paper money and say, well, this is our paper money. It's not backed by anything, but it's no different than the government's paper money. And you know what? We'll, we'll put a limit on it. We, we promise not to create more than a certain amount of it. We'll, we'll cap it so that the rate of inflation of our worthless paper currency is going to be less than the rate of inflation of the government's worthless paper currency, because nobody would have bought that. But you know what? They're dumb enough to buy it now. That's what they're doing. In fact, and if you go back to my book, Crash Proof, I wrote about the idea of, let's say, a gold money before it existed. I wrote that one day banks or companies are going to store gold and let you spend it using a debit card. And, you know, right now, again, when people are holding their gold and they're spending it using a debit card, they're not using their gold as money. They're using the dollars they get when they liquidate their gold as money. The real future of using gold in e-commerce is not going to be converting it to dollars. It's going to be spending your gold because the merchant wants your gold because that's what he's pricing his products in. He's pricing products of gold. And people aren't going to want to buy insurance policies in fiat currencies because they're not going to have any confidence in what they're going to be worth. They're going to want to buy insurance policies that pay off in gold because they know that gold is going to be worth. Look, let's say you want to buy fire insurance against your house burning down. Are you going to have a fire insurance policy that pays off in Bitcoin? Do you have any idea what Bitcoin is going to be worth in the future? Will you be able to rebuild your house with your Bitcoin? 
if you're going to buy life insurance to take care of your family in case you die, are you going to have the policy pay off in Bitcoin? Are you going to have confidence that your family is going to be able to live on Bitcoin? But you can do that in gold. You have an idea. If I have a certain amount of gold, I can probably rebuild my house. If I leave my family a certain amount of gold, they can live on it. Because historically, you can look back and see historical prices over time. And people can have more confidence in gold. That is a real safe haven asset. Gold is real money. These digital currencies, these cryptocurrencies, they are nothing but fool's gold. And a fool and his money will soon be parted. Maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, but this bubble is going to go the way of all bubbles. And it may very well be the biggest bubble of all time. And that just means that when people think about bubbles in the future, they won't think about the Dutch tulip craze or they won't even talk about the dot-com bubble. It'll be the Bitcoin bubble. It'll be the cryptocurrency bubble. Will a lot of people make money before this bubble pops? Yes. But even more people will lose money when it pops. Thank you.